Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we will never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a personal best at your next race or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has huge significance. One way to do this is with regular movement practice and if you have difficulty fitting it into your daily routine I've made it easier for you by putting together a series of stretching movements in a single page PDF document along with video links which you can download for free. If you would like to get hold of a copy, please look for the very obvious link in the show notes. Now, on today's podcast, you actually get two Yorkshire accents. Because I'm joined by top age group triathlete and elite triathlon photographer, Jack Schofield. Jack has been active in the sport of triathlon for a very short number of years, both as an athlete and in his profession as a photographer. And as you'll hear in this conversation, whilst Jack's clearly very talented at both, there are times when this is an obvious challenge for him to find separation, allowing him to do his best at both. Anyway, rather than me telling you the whole story now, let's get cracking and chat with the lad himself. So Jack, rather ironic this, isn't it? You and I live a couple of hundred metres apart on the... Um, the Leeds Liverpool Canal, and here we are sat in the King Kamehameha Hotel in downtown Kona. Yeah, well, when we organised this, I think it was a slightly rainy day at Outlaw, so yeah, we, we decided to wait till the other side of the world, which seems a bit crazy, but um, yeah, make the most of a little bit of downtime here here in Kona. So, well, so uh, you've got your Hawaiian shirt on. So yeah, right. I bought this. I bought this twenty minutes ago in Costco for nineteen dollars. So it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it does a job. It's a bit big, but. That's American sizing for you, isn't it? So, yeah, I should should also apologise for the state of my voice since the race. We've been uh, letting loose a little bit, so yeah, I seem to have lost my voice on night night one and two. But uh, and then with the cheer in the men's race yesterday, no problem. We're all a bit hoarse today. Aren't yeah, we? Um, could be worse. It could be Mike Riley. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So, yeah, sure. Joe's lost a voice as well. So, um, tell me why you're here in Kona. Because you've got two jobs, really, haven't you? Yeah, I'm not really sure the answer to that question. As in, like, chicken or the egg. Um, So I qualified for Kona three years ago in 2019. Uh, I'm on Maryland. Uh, Basically, I was having a difficult season, um, just not getting the results I wanted in the long distance. So flew out to America because um, generally the standard is a little bit lower in the US for age group racing, so it's a little bit easier to pick up Kona spots. Um, and we decided, you know, make it a holiday. Maryland's just a couple of hours east of Washington, uh, DC. So, yeah, flew in, didn't tell anyone I was going. Like, literally, four or five of us knew. Flew out, so ill, but yeah, managed to get myself round um, and take take a Kona spot. So, um, yeah, qualified in 2019. We then went to, into Washington and New York and did the like, you know, end of season blowout that. Um, is be- well is becoming a little bit famous in our household of like it just get seems to get crazier each year I think but um yeah decided to do that so I qualified in 2019 then um actually a few weeks after that Ruth Astle won the age group field here um and we sat down I'd literally just started 
trying to take some pictures and do some videos and stuff in the last must have been like uh kind of early, early, mid to early that year so may june time of 2019 and then um yeah decided i would be become a photographer we sat in london i remember it in putney had a coffee we're really good friends uh, trained together quite a lot at that point and she said do you want to do do you want to like, dabble in triathlon photography and um, now you've picked up a camera, maybe we could do a YouTube, maybe we can do some marketing stuff, not really sure how it looks, but are you interested? So yeah, in 2020, we, I remember it January the 1st, 2020, we, we launched Ruth's YouTube. Um, I started as a triathlon photographer near enough there and then, and um, yeah, so, so here we are. So kind of, that was a very long-winded way of saying I qualified first, so technically I'm here as an athlete, although I am here with work. Um, yeah, taking pictures um, and just being as, as useful as possible to some of the pros, I suppose. Okay, I think we need to pick, unpick some of this then, Jack. So yeah. let's let's. It sounds like you just picked up a camera and now here you are working as a professional photographer. Yeah, um, and that's a bit disingenuous, I'm sure, to, to, <laughs> yeah. to your skills. Um, so let's let's go back a little bit. Um, when did you get into triathlon? Twenty, I think, twenty fifteen. Um, I was still at uni. So you're quite, you're quite young, aren't you? I'm um, 28. You're 28? Yes. So, so 2015, you were what, 18, 19? No, I think I was like 20, 21. Okay. So I was third. I th I'm pretty sure I was second. I must have been just starting my third year at uni. Um, so my second placement and I had a couple of friends. We were, we were rowing. And so I rowed at the University of Bath. Um, there was at the time a super strong squad there. Um, just about made the eight, so super fit. And then um, a couple of a couple of my mates decided they were going to do this thing called an Ironman, and we were going to raise money for charity. Um, and I told them I didn't want to do it because um, I had unfinished business in rowing. Like I was, yeah, still sort of learning the technique of that, and um, wanted to go to like GB trials and that sort of stuff to see how far I could take this rowing thing. How how um. How, what age did you start rowing then? At uni, so 18, yeah. Oh, okay. So, so it's not something you've been doing since you were 12 no, or 13? No, no, no. No, no, it wasn't. It was never a sport that was accessible to me as a kid. You know, it's quite an affluent um, quite an affluent sport. So it, it wasn't even on my radar. But I, I really liked the fact that, like, you know, you just turn up, you beast yourself for an hour, two hours in training, and then you go home and crack on with your day. Okay. And, and there's a real camaraderie about it. You know, it's, it's a team sport. So and it, it's not a team sport in the way... The skill inv skill involved. You have to learn to row, but for me, it was just all about like trying to fight, trying to be the fittest I could be. And there's a mixture of strength in there. You know, when you look at a rower, they're massive, so mm -hmm. you have to be strong and fit. Uh, and I really liked all of that. So, um, so what? But up, up until that point, then what? Because you're you're an athletic chap. Yeah. And these things you don't just pick up these things. You yeah, know, well, I at did the everything. age of eighteen, I've been done nothing. Did you do anything before you were eighteen? I just did everything. So I okay. I did absolutely everything. Literally from like I was captain of the local rugby team to like um, used to have the lead role in the local ballet performances. Like I did the full spectrum. Oh, okay, so you um, uh, so you're light on your feet, but yeah, you've got a exactly. Bit of power. Yeah, well, I used to be. I was a lot smaller than I am now. But uh, we, yeah, I'm not a big guy, but compared to the triathletes, I am. But yeah, so yeah. so I just used to do everything. Um, was just just enjoyed sport and just like loved sport. Um, but it was never. I nearly went to dance school actually at 16. I had the choice to go um, instead of college to like uh, college and uni at one of the academies. Um, but my parents were super keen on me taking the academic route because I was always fortunate in that 
I found school quite easy. I don't like to say I was smart because I think intelligence should like isn't measured. I wouldn't measure intelligence in school grades, mm-hmm. but I found school easy. So or it came naturally to me rather than I found it easy. Um, so I followed the academic route. So yeah, I went to uni, studied architecture, got into rowing and really started to find my feet. So when my two mates said, do, we're going to do an Ironman, I was like, what on earth is an Ironman? And no, basically I want to row. And then they're like, right, well, we've all signed up, um, five of them, four of them. Uh, so you're going to be the only person that doesn't do one if you don't. I was like, okay, right, take my money. So signed up near enough there and then from the peer pressure. Uh, and we raised like five and a half thousand pounds for charity, some charities that were super close to our hearts. And uh, that was really cool. So I did Ironman Nice. Um, I'll start off with an easy one then. Yeah, exactly. I'd never done a triathlon. What well, that's technically that comes with an asterisk of like I did a couple of sprint triathlons when I was like 15, and hated it, and was like I'm never doing a triathlon again. Then fast forward seven years and uh, just go straight into Ironman Nice. So yeah, I think I did like 12:27, um, five over definitely over a five-hour marathon, um, and yeah, it was just absolutely wild. And then. Uh, because of that, so I was super fit but had a bad day. I went and did Ironman Wales like two months later. Again, pick an easy course. Um, because I, because we'd raised so much money for charities, the charities said like, oh, we have charity spots that otherwise get wasted. You can fulfill one of them. So yeah, took a, took a charity spot on, did Ironman Wales. Um, went pretty well. I went like 11.05. I was on a road bike, no TT bike, no bike fit, nothing. Just rocked up on my road bike. I think I had like the 30th fastest bike split of the day. Out rode like Emma Pooley and stuff, which mm-hmm. as a 21-year-old lad in a road bike was, looking back, was super solid going. I was just like eating biscuits on the way around. No idea of nutrition, training, nothing. Didn't know anything. And uh, I ran like a three, I don't know whether it's a 328 or a 338 on the Wales course. So, um, again, like a fairly, no, it's, not, it's not an easy run course either. Wales, you know, you get a lot of courses that have got a hillyish bike, but they run like France, for instance. Yeah, it's exactly, just pan yeah. flat, isn't it? But it's very hot along yeah, the savage, yeah. But Wales, I've, and I've done that one myself. It's either up or down. There isn't a yeah, great deal brutal, of flat in there yeah. at all. So then, yeah, so I finished third in the age group um, that day, and we were honestly we were back in Bath when we found out. So I had to then we had to then drive back. So finish Ironman, drive back to Bath for two yeah. hours. We then find out we've got to go back to, uh, that, back to the like Middle East, nowhere in Wales, Tembi, obviously, to get get this trophy that I thought I may never have again because I didn't know if I was going to do another Ironman or anything. So, yeah, I went and got the trophy, and uh, that that was where I sort of caught caught the bug. No podium then for third in your age group because I remember at that point Wales only probably had about fifty spots, didn't it? So oh no, Kona slot, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it was top two in my age group and, and I missed down. it yeah I missed it by I think like 30 <laughs> seconds but honestly like I didn't even know when I didn't even know what Kona was when we were at the awards and they were talking about this thing Kona spots I, I had no concept of what it was and it was never a, a race for me that day I, I wasn't racing for a podium I wasn't I was just out there having fun seeing what I could do and just like exploring this thing and there was something quite pure and naive about it that I almost miss nowadays now I uh, have so much more relativity so yeah it, it was cool and um yeah got got came super close but didn't know uh, and then next stop i went into the like gb age group team and mm-hmm. did long course 
uh, started off at Europeans and Worlds, had a couple of podiums there, and then um, then went back to you know try and qualify for Kona, and that's when um, I kind of caught caught the Kona bug. So 2019, you qualified. Yeah. And that would have been was that to race in 2019 or no 2020? To race in 2020. So uh, I had a year. We had, we had COVID then, so yeah. then there hasn't been a race here for two years. So how did that constantly having your Kona debut push back? How did that affect you? Uh, so I actually, so I actually raced Kona in 2017. Oh, okay. So it wasn't my debut. So yeah, I was here in 2017. Had as I keep telling the, the guys here, I, I had such a good day that uh, I finished with a glow stick, which not to not to um, belittle finishing with a glow stick. Anyone that gets around the course here, it's an unbelievable achievement, and and it's only when you're really here that you appreciate that. You know to to finish Kona is no um, mean feat, but compared to the expectations I had, that wasn't quite what I wanted. But I was very naive. That was obviously five years ago. So yeah, so then qualifying in 2019 for 2020, and then it went to February 2021. And then it was the end of 2021, and then they did the February thing again, and then uh, yeah, and then they did the February thing again, which obviously became St George, and then we got the choice. Um, and bear in mind, at this point, I'm becoming. Um, don't know how to phrase it, but like uh, one of the more active triathlon photographers in the UK. You know, I've got some contracts with some of the bigger name pros, and um, so so I'm trying to support their racing as well. So then I have this dilemma of like, do I want to race a world championship or do I want to race Kona, mm. and which one do I want to support? Quote my athletes for. I know they're not my athletes, but the athletes I work with and. Uh, yeah, so that was all quite an interesting dynamic. So in the end, I decided I wanted to go and shoot my first world championship in St. George because if you qualified before COVID, you had the choice. Um, and then, yeah, chose to come and come and race Kona. So this, yeah, this was my last year in 25 to 29. And, uh, yeah, finally got my second attempt at, at the track. All right, let's go back then to this photography thing. So you, you said you studied architecture. So I guess that that means you have a you have an eye for functional design and that sort of thing. And so yeah. that probably puts you at a bit more of an advantage than right. the majority of people when it came when it comes to framing a photograph. Yeah. yeah? So I learned. I actually learned learned images <clears throat> before I learned photographs. Which for some people they'll be like, well, that's the same thing. It's not because I can create an image wasn't taken on a camera so what happens obviously when you're designing a building you need renders and you'll see it like if you're walking down the street and there's a new development usually across the boarding they have um all the 3d um mm -hmm. like images of how it will look um so we could create them and look, talk ourselves so I was, I was like super good in photoshop like i was always the guy that um in the group chat was posting stupid photos of our mates faces in different things and all that sort of stuff so I really really understood Photoshop and yeah what makes a good image but I didn't I didn't know when I started how to take a good image and that was so frustrating but yeah so I learned images I, I do have an eye for design or like I've taught myself that so I've got a very scientific brain um I, I'm very an, I'm a numbers guy um so that's not always easy to marry with art is it yeah, which is exactly, much more yeah. um subjective 
Yeah, it's quite comical. So I remember numbers super easily. We actually had a funny one at dinner the other night. Uh, Lisa Norden's birthday is a couple of days apart from mine, which means that obviously she's, I remembered that because she told me and, um, and it obviously just came across like I was a massive creep and had been, been <laughs> stalking Lisa. But yeah, so yeah, I very much understand numbers more than I understand art. Um, but taught myself, you know, what, what makes a good image? What are the set of rules that do that? How do you, um, yeah, how do you construct something that people will like and, uh, and explore all that almost through a formula? And I am continuing to develop that and, and understand, um, sort of the limits to a good photo. Okay, so give me an example then. You've, you've, let's, you've mentioned Ruth, so Ruth Astle, you, you do the photo stuff for her and the video stuff. So how do you, you know, we could go out here now into the lava fields yeah. and take a photo there, and it's pretty photogenic, isn't it? You've yeah. got blue sky. If you take it from one way, you've got the volcano in one yeah, side, yeah. or you can take it from the other side and you've got the blue of the sea. Yeah. So you can, you, even with an iPhone, you could probably get a reasonably good shot. Yeah, so, uh, what, so what do you do differently to make that shot even more impressive I think visually. it's just I think you've actually just outlined a lot of it there it's just those little micro decisions that you make I now make them on the fly in a split second you mm. know we can get I can get bundled oh, Super Lee's a good example you know you've got like a few seconds before their background again on the next lap or there's another athlete or an Ironman you know I get bundled out of a car and you'd be like the athletes are coming in 30 seconds and so you've got to decide okay what where am I taking the shot from? What shot do I want? And, and, and the best thing about photography is like, or any kind of art, like there isn't a right way. So what I like might not be what you like. And, mm -hmm. and obviously there's images we can all see, like the, the very famous Iron Man one um, of the turtle on the start line. Uh, it's just a beautiful image that, it was kind of just a special moment and you're not going to get that again. So you, There's got to be an element of luck to that though, isn't it? Because you exactly. could plan that, but if the turtle's having breakfast somewhere else or swimming yeah, around... You're not getting that photo, not getting it, are, you? are you? And the same with the light, you know, the, the, the photo is top lit, obviously because underwater everything's top lit, there's no light coming from the bottom, so you can see the athletes very clearly, the turtle's in focus, so mm -hmm. there's all that stuff. But yeah, so, so you just very quickly make a set of decisions uh, or it doesn't have to be quickly, but you make a set of decisions like you said. So do I want a focus of the sky or the ocean? Do I want the volcano? And then you you refine that. Okay, maybe I want the sky because I want quite a plain background. And you're like, okay, if I'm having a plain background, is the focus the image so or the background? So sometimes you'll see the images where they're a beautiful mountainscape or a beautiful scene mm -hmm. and the athlete will be really small so you're like oh where is the athlete you're kind of like telling a story of the place or is it is the athlete the focus do i want a really tight headshot or do i want um the shoes in focus or do i want the bike in focus for mm. example you know and you just formulate that set of uh that set of decisions and um yeah, then you, you know, you might do it differently a second time. So this time I w want the volcano in the background, but I actually want the helmet and, you know. There's a, there's a really good shot that several photographers have used. There's a lava tube out on the Queen K somewhere. It's probably about, it's past the airport, I think. And I've seen photographs where they've obviously positioned themselves within that. So you get the, the circle of the lava tube looking out. And obviously they've then got to just keep firing until yeah. the cyclist comes past but if you're at the right angle looking up at the road then that's all you're getting is the yeah. circle outlining the picture so that's the frame yeah, the other classic, and the athlete going through and the blue sky in the yeah, background the so that's a really good the shot. row of palm trees that i think uh, glenn took of alistair last time so al's just posted it on his instagram last week and it's the cyclist 
on the Queen K with the sky in the background and the row of palm trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what's quite special about Kona is you do, it's the same course, so you do have your standard shots, but um, I actually had a, not an argument, but like a, a hot discussion with a German photographer who I really respect. And he was basically saying, I don't understand why photographers like Kona because it's all the same. It's really hard to be creative in Kona because it looks the same every year. You've got the same stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously the more time you spend here, you realize like, it, the course is special and it's super brutal and it's an incredible place but it isn't just the course that makes it it's the atmosphere it's the people it's it's the moments that happen you know there's the photo that came out yesterday of um sam and gustav shaking hands on the pass we saw the same photo in 2018 when uh patrick overtook well there's Cam, a, i think maybe that's 17 going back even further there's one when chris mccormack passes um uh, Andreas. Yeah. Yeah, and he he just touches him on the back, doesn't yeah. he, as he's going past, and you know, and it's you like, those moments to, are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, and you only have to go and stand on Leahy to see the fans, and there's a bit of fancy dress, and, like, there's just people everywhere, and they are just so invested in this single day. And, mm -hmm. you know, we logged on yesterday morning um, to watch the men's race and um, while they were out on the bike, and there's 130,000 people watching, and I'm sure it went higher, you know, and mm -hmm. um, people all around the world are so invested in this event that the people that are here just build this atmosphere that's absolutely electric. And for me, that's what's so special, not just about Kona, but about the sport, is like the people we get to interact with are really... Um, there's so many stories to well, be told. Well, you're super close to the action here, right? I mean, you can, yeah. you know, apart from the sort of final few yards where everybody's buried off and they're in the, the sort yeah. of the organised seating areas, you can be stood on... Alihi drivers, the runners go past it, and they're passing. You could, you can high five them there. So yeah. if you're, it, it, even if you're Joe Blow with his iPhone, you can take a photograph yeah. when you're looking right into yeah, an athlete's yeah. eyes, and you can see who's having a good day and who's yeah, extra yeah. pain, can't you? And, yeah. and I don't think you'd get that if you went to Wimbledon. You might get that in a blur in the Tour de France, but you wouldn't get that in Formula One. Yeah. You wouldn't get. You might get it in the London Marathon, but there's yeah. very few high-level sporting occasions when you'd be that close and yeah. feel like you're actually part of the action. Yeah, yeah, you could literally trip the athlete up if you really needed to. <laughs> yeah, but, not that um, we're suggesting that. Yeah, so, no, um, it, it's cool, yeah. Ironman's a bit like that, though. You're regularly pretty close and um, it's quite quite inaccessible, you know. We, we usually share the same start line. I know the race was split here over a couple of mm -hmm. days, but... Um, but you're still, you're not far behind, are you? If, you're, no. if you were racing on Thursday, you were racing on Thursday, see... So the professional ladies go off and 20, 30 minutes behind them, there you are on the same course, feeling the same pain yeah, yeah. and getting the same, well, maybe worse weather conditions, yeah. actually, depending on what, what time you get up, the, yeah. up to Harvey. But you're experiencing exactly the same yeah. things that they are on the same day. Yeah, that's the beauty of triathlon, right? You know, it doesn't matter what speed you're going or who you are or anything. You see see the same people in fancy dress and you know i did mm. ironman uk this year so uh, you know you see the people up on the climb the superheroes and stuff oh yeah and, and I, I can you know i did like nine and a half ish hours i don't know the exact time but i wasn't really racing for a, a, a number but um you then uh see like everyone else involved later in the day like I go for dinner with some other friends who just made the cut off the next day mm. and we shared the same experiences you know you see and I passed them on the bike course like I actually see you see people out there and and you see the same people climbing and you see uh, the same part of town that was, felt electric like you don't have to be going fast to feel that and 
And that's quite special. Well, like Ironman Wales yeah. is a good example of that, exactly, isn't it? When you're running yeah. around through Tenby Town Centre. And they say Ross is feel, the same. Yeah. feels like um, every street corner and every inch of the pavement's occupied by spectators. I mean, a lot of them are stood in the pub, so that makes yeah. it a bit more boisterous later on in the day. Yeah. But, you know, that's, I think that's what keeps people going back to Wales. Yeah, yeah. And, and people will continue to do that, I think. Yeah, it's really cool. So, talking about Ironman UK, you... you that wasn't a professional race, was it, this no, year? Yeah, no, so pros, that yeah. was age group only, and you were actually leading the race for a large portion of the day. So what? what? Uh, well, I wouldn't say a large portion, but I, I was leading the race for a little while. Okay, really. so what's that like to be actually the first person on the road? Yeah, a bit nuts, actually. So, so for me, it was the run course. So I'm, I'm quite a weak, relatively a weak swimmer. I swim just over an hour, usually. Um, a fairly strong biker. So, yeah, I was. Uh, I came off the bike, in, I think I came out of T2 in like fourth or third, mm-hmm. um, but I led that pack off the bike. Um, a bit close for comfort, but we'll leave that one there. Uh, a bit close <laughs> for comfort. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Well, enough. Less said, the better on that one, I think. Um, but yeah, so was at the front of that group off the bike, um, or for the last couple of laps of the bike, and then we. Came out as a four, and then Dan McParland, who's a phenomenal athlete, was uh, up the road. He had about four or five minutes on us. So, yeah, we came out with the second and third bike, and uh, that was really cool. And then, so Dan was leading. Um, we were closing the gap, me and George, and sort of trading blows there. And then um, George was having a few stomach issues, so I caught Dan just after the halfway point. I knew I'd reel him in um, based on the gap I had because... Uh, well, once I started running, basically, I felt pretty good and knew that uh, I could run myself into a good day. Um, so, yeah, caught him about halfway through mm-hmm. just as we were leaving town and then led for led for the whole lap, basically, which was really cool, yeah, to have the have the lead bike and um, in front of, like, friends and family and stuff because I, I chatted. So the year before, Kat Matthews obviously won mm-hmm. the, the pro women's race in Bolton. And this year, the was no pro race at all. Um, so I chatted to Katavai shortly after. They were actually going to come and watch, but couldn't make it, unfortunately. So, And I just said to her, you know, as an age grouper with no aspiration of going pro, that's something that I may never experience again or not. You know, so many people never have that luxury to have a lead bike and people can see you're in the lead. So, And, like, they're rooting for you to win and they have no idea who you are. Uh, and it was so cool, yeah. It was just, a, there was a sign that somebody read out yesterday, and some, I don't know if you saw it out there. It said, I don't know who you are, but I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Like, that's just amazing, isn't it? Because if you know a bit about triathlon, every single... And you talked about how brutal this course is at any point in the day. You can see those people. You've got a pretty good idea what they're going through. Yeah. So you don't have to know them to understand yeah. what they're feeling. It's quite you? funny, isn't it? So you can see it when you go and watch an Ironman, you can see the pain on mm-hmm. their faces and stuff. But like, cause I've got loads of, loads of my friends just, they're not traffic. They don't care about traffic. Mm-hmm. And uh, that gives me a bit of, I, I keep it that way because it gives me perspective away mm-hmm. from sport. But when I'm doing Ironman, like they don't have a clue what's going on. They, the times mean nothing to them. Mm-hmm. And that's why I quite like running marathons because mm-hmm. when you tell someone a marathon time, they, uh, they can relate to that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it's just this like overwhelming support just for the event you're going through because they can see it's they can see the pain you're in but the aftermath and and it's so far like i think people forget just how far it is you know well, if you we we drove i mean i've done i've raced here yeah um and i've been here plenty of times and ridden out on 
the highway past the airport but we drove that slowly on Thursday afternoon on our way back to our accommodation and when you've gone up to the top of Polani Hill and you turn left and go out onto the highway and you can see all of those runners going out and it's just a long straight road yeah. and it just goes on and on yeah, and I mean, on. when you turn out and the energy hot. lab, when you turn out the energy lab, I think you've got like ten or eleven k left now. Yes, um, because obviously they've changed the course this year, and you run further back in on the Queen K. Yeah, uh, and you look at your watch, and I sort of thought like, right, okay, like I've turned out the energy lab, I'm absolutely done, and I could still be running for another hour. You know, but like, that's you. There's other people uh, looking yeah, at it and going, actually, yeah. it could be two hours yeah, before mental, I get back. Yeah, just, it's so you just never far. seem to get any closer, do you? Yeah, but that's like any Ironman, right? Like I think. I think people, it, especially nowadays, it's so accessible. Mm. I think people um, sometimes forget to respect the distance, and that's why we see mm. a lot of people, um, yeah, comes unstuck quite quickly in racing because mm. it is so far. Yeah. And, and especially with the professionals bringing the standard up and up and up, and the times are dropping so much that it is not like now we're seeing pros finish Ironmans in the time we're seeing age groupers finish 70.3s yeah. and so it almost loses the it doesn't for me but it, you can see how it suddenly like oh well what we thought was a 10 hour race is now a 7 hour race you know getting closer that way and and it's kind of like it's no less impressive it's just phenomenal what what we're seeing in the sport so let's let's talk about your photography again so you mentioned uh, you mentioned Ruth can you talk yeah. about and mention who you take photographs for because i guess we'll see them if we look on i mean like um, i mean the the only person i haven't really photographed is jan um for various reasons i think i think i don't think there's any other pros i've never taken a picture of um i've worked i work very closely with ruth and have done since the start um i've done a lot of work with cat matthews patrick lang uh recently you know i get to work with loads of the british guys like uh, Alan Johnny, I do little bits for when they need it. They obviously have another photographer, Chris, uh, who I work with super closely. He's actually um, been shooting Outlaw for me this year, so some people might have seen him taking videos at mm-hmm. Outlaw, um, and he he's taught me a lot and have learned a lot from Chris. Really nice guy. So yeah, Alan Johnny um, at Super League, I've done some shots there. Obviously at Outlaw, so shoot like the age troopers uh, at racing. You know, I've shot like. People use shots from, I'm trying to think, in the men's field, it would be, yeah, Sebi Keenler has, Patrick obviously has. Um, which I just had lunch with Jan van Berkel, and um, he's obviously used my shots in the past. Daniela, um, I see occasionally at races. And, um, yeah, so so it, I've kind of taken taken a picture of a lot of people and then worked quite closely with some others. Uh, I've, so I've got a question for you now. Yeah. Right? Um photographs there's always official photographers at races yeah. right and people pay for packages and i don't know whether it's still the case but you get a sample of these and you see, what yeah. you see people doing is sometimes taking these samples and then you use a screenshot in it and then you're using it yeah now that's your work and you've spent time yeah. there I, I don't you, you don't have to go into the contractual details of all of that but when yeah. some and, and you know this is just to maybe share how the whole thing works yeah i mean there's lots of different ways but like it's something actually um so i did a podcast last month with helen murray Mm -hmm. and uh, accidentally went on a bit of a rant myself about this topic okay well fire Um, away we're two yorkshire lads chatting here freely so let's let's have a little round it's basically theft is the like brutal if you go in hard like it's theft you know i wouldn't go into a car shop and say like oh how much is the car you know like oh it's a 
is 40 grand and you're like cool and you just drive away you know a, a smaller car or something I know it's not, it's not but you're still stealing something oh but, but uh, maybe let's put it on a, a smaller basis you wouldn't go into a pub but if there was a free pint on the bar drink it and then just walk off without paying would you exactly after, yeah. asking, after asking them the price yeah you know, it, that's what's got to be clear like, you know you're meant to pay for it so yes. it's not like there's a sign above the photo that says free image you know so I, I, and I'm a big um, just to be clear I'm, I'm very much on the side of the athlete I think race photography is overpriced I actually think it should be free to all competitors and that the events organisers should pay the photographer but there are different models of working um, some of the models are that the photographer will um, be paid like I say by the event so then outlaw pay me directly so that then all their athletes can have free content and I really like that model sometimes a pro takes me and um, they're paying me so then I have to sell some shots but uh, I agree that we shouldn't be paying 80, 80 pounds or whatever. I'm not even checking the price of the shots here, but like, you know, something ludicrous for some quite average photos. You should have the choice of like, are these photos any good? Do I actually want to buy? Like, it shouldn't be 80 quid for the whole package and 40 quid for one or whatever they are. Um, so I started doing a model with Outlaw originally where, um, the, I said to Ian Hamilton, the race director, can I sell some images? This is my pricing strategy. Um, and I wanted, they obviously give away images through AWOL. Uh, obviously, we all know the quality of those are pretty poor. Um, I've spoken to AWOL and told them the quality is poor and how I can help their model, but they're not too interested in listening. They think um, their images are high quality. I never see any athletes using them, but um, yeah, that's an argument for a different day. But So I said to Ian... Look, I'll sell images £3 each, 5 for a tenner, or 10 for 15 quid. So it's like £3, £2, £1.50. Mm -hmm. um, everyone's happy. You know, athletes can choose. They get a good package. And I think there's a model in there where, you know, we need to bring, as photographers, high-quality content to more athletes. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, but, yeah, so, so first of all, I understand that... Uh, people are taking the piss with pricing. Like, you know, it's stupid. But then, like, if you rewind a bit, take a step back, well, the race has to somehow pay a photographer to be there. Mm. And if the race themselves can't afford for the photographer, then they need to incentivize the photographer. So they say to Finisher Picks, you can come to our race for free and sell photos. So Finisher Picks then run some maths and they say, okay, we might have... Um, we might sell 500 athletes' photos at Kona. We sell them at £100 a go. You know, there's our over, there's our um, turnover. So, how much money are we going to make profit wise? That's obviously going to depend on how many photographers mm. we send. So, this is our turnover. These are our overheads. And, they, you know, it's a business, right? So, they're well, working and, out the cost. And, yeah. And this is a thing that, that always makes me chuckle a bit. We've got the competitors who are complaining about these costs. And I, I accept what you're saying, that in sometimes they're overpriced and there needs to be a model that sort of, you know, makes it um, amenable to the photographer so that they can earn a living because this is your livelihood and this is your living and you've got a right to earn a living as much as I have as a coach. But equally, triathlon's an expensive sport as well and if yeah. you add the cost of photographs on, that yeah. that's, so, can feel so prohibitive all to people. Sudden... But, but if you're running a business yeah. as a plumber and a builder, then please don't complain about somebody who's trying to run a business of photographer for charging for it, for it yeah. because it's exactly what you do in your business. Exactly. So have a bit of, have a then, bit of perspective on the whole situation. And then if you steal, situation. so where I was going with that is if you steal the photos, then the turnover is less. 
So then they send less photographers. Mm. So then we don't get to ever drive the price mm. down. So what I say to the people that work with me is that like, if you like my photos, either buy them or if you don't want to buy them from me, write to the organizer and say like, this is quite cool. Let's get them a lot. And that's why I've now got an outlaw contract of 10 races because mm -hmm. people like the stuff and the, the feedback is good. And, yeah. you know, we're looking, I'm looking at bringing um, other photographers and obviously other people have the image contract. So um, currently for outlaw, so I don't know if I'll personally be doing the images, but there's always ways we can help athletes and mm -hmm. all work together. Um, and I think like, it, yeah, that, that's all, that's what we want is to help the athlete. So I think, and if the images are overpriced, Rather than stealing them, just tell, just write to write to the race and say, you know, and and yeah, it's really hard when people steal watermarked images. It's quite hard to steal them from me because um, I generally try and avoid selling to age groupers and stuff. Anyway, I try and give them away free and and get paid in in other yeah. ways. But yeah, yeah it, it is hard sometimes. And the worst is when you get an Instagram tag. You know, like I can't walk into Tesco and be like, oh, can I buy my shopping with an Instagram tag? You know, yeah, fine, I've only got 2,000 followers or whatever, but even if I had 200,000, like, they're still not letting me buy my shopping. doesn't matter how many followers I've got. Tagging me isn't going to pay my mortgage. So, yeah, there's some of that. And, um, you know, and we're exploring different avenues of being paid and different avenues of, mm -hmm. of bringing content to people, like I say. And, and, and I'm always open to ideas myself. Like, I, I just want to... Uh, streamline that process and make sure we get paid people get good memories captured uh, and still enjoy the races so. uh, okay let's let's move on because that's you know i don't think that's a rant at all i think everybody yeah. has a right to i mean put it was more ranty last time no no yeah. no but, you know you know i'm, I'm fine you, you're saying it how it is and that's yeah. what exactly what i'd expect yeah. of a yorkshire lad you've been here you've been working with well you were I guess supposed to be working with Kat who had that unfortunate accident in Texas but you were doing some work out there with her and Ruth yep. you've been here doing work with Ruth I know you said you've been doing work with um, Patrick Patrick yeah Langer. Christian Hogenhag as well get on with super yeah. well so, yeah. so but you're also racing here so yeah. I'm now I'm really interested in how you balance out this thing because I guess you can't just say to them right Patrick uh I've got an hour today, so I'll be out on the Queen K. If you're out there, when you ride past, I'll take a few snaps because yeah. I'm getting a sense of the fact that that's not your—that's not how you approach the way you do your photography, yeah. right? You're all in or you're not in. Exactly. Yeah. But I also get the sense that as an athlete, you're either all in or you're not in. Yeah. And now you're here, you are. You've got a race to do on Thursday, and you've got athletes who are racing. So trying to go all in on two things that you're passionate about yeah, must well, make mean, it almost impossible. I mean, first of all, it's pretty clear I uh, I, I didn't race very well on Thursday. So, so a Yeah, lot I would of people... say that a 9.36, Jack, I, I, I would imagine that 99% of listeners would willingly swap that yeah, time 30, for yours. For 39, but yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah um, well. But yeah, so, well, yeah, but I think, first of all, when I flew out, I'd achieved everything I wanted to this year. So I, want, I actually wanted to win Bolton, but would have taken a podium. Uh, which I've got. I finished second in the end. Um, I ran a 234 marathon um, and wanted to yeah go under 235. Um, and I didn't really have many more goals. I really just wanted to focus on a full triathlon season and growing the business. Mm -hmm. uh, so all my other goals were business orientated. So uh, while I wanted to perform at Kona, um, it wasn't. It, it wouldn't affect the way I looked at the trip. And I was also very clear on that that. We, I really wanted to come here and add value to other people's trips. One of those is my partner. Like she's had an amazing holiday, um, and she wouldn't have been able to. We wouldn't have come at all if I hadn't have 
recuperated the cost of the trip. So, mm-hmm. so there were different goals. Um, I, I, yeah, I really, I found the balance tough this time. Um, people think I worked a bit much out here. I, I don't think I did. I think um, I got the balance right. I managed to get a lot of rest. I organised my calendar super clearly and was uh, did everything I needed to with all my contracts yeah. with sponsors and pros. And I don't think I left anyone in the lurch. Um, all my photos and videos were published by lunchtime Wednesday here. So I had the night off the night before the race and but equally, um, you said you told me the other day you were working seventy hours a week. That's not probably not what. That's definitely yeah, not, not what I'd advise. Not, as a coach. Yeah, not in Kona, but I, I think I, I think in the woodlands I was wasn't far off. But then some of that is like you know where do you draw the boundary of work? Of like when I'm out mm. on a training ride taking pictures and selling them, like is that work or am I training? And like mm-hmm. you know, fine, I can see how you wouldn't think it's work, but you go and try and train a twenty to twenty five hour week and. And then I've got my actual work of editing and then, you know, a few Mm -hmm. calls a week with various clients and uh, do a bit of like marketing work for them. Obviously, just feeding, feeding into their marketing team as the content, content sort of stuff. And then, you know, never really away from the laptop. Sleep gets compromised. So um, in St. George, I think the two weeks before the race, I averaged about three hours sleep a night Mm. um, because I was just flat out. And, And obviously I knew coming into Kona, I couldn't work as much as I as that as I'd have wanted to and so we drew the balance and you know I got I got at least seven hours almost every night a couple of nights I had to sacrifice but um yeah but then when I raced you know my heart rate didn't go over 140 so my max heart rate for the day was like 143 average on the bike was 135 and average on the run was 139 I think so so I never really left zone two and, uh, you know, you can say whatever you want, but the, the, probably the two biggest factors of that are dehydration and fatigue. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, maybe I did carry a bit too much into the race. But, um, yeah, I think I think I I got the balance right. I just um, executed it a bit wrong in the final couple of days. So I have another question for you then on, on this sort of work and passion play, if you like, sort of, you know, almost becoming one thing. Is, yeah. You work with a lot of the professional athletes yeah. in a professional capacity as a photographer for them, so you're trying to produce great images that they can use to build their brand. Yeah. But you also stay with them and you train with them. Yeah. So do you find that that blurs the lines between being friends with people and being friendly with people? No, does I think... That, does that make it difficult for you? No, um, never. Either in work or in, in sort of personal No, life? never. I'd actually say first and foremost, they're my friends. Right. Um, and that's a very clear distinction that mm-hmm. I make that I will never cross the boundary of work and sacrifice a friendship and okay. I'll never overlook um, the trust they give me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like Ruth, Kat, especially, I'm so close with them that they know they'll never overstep the mark in a professional setting. Anything they say that is taken out of context or an image that um, paints them in a bad light or like, you know, anything it's safe and and no one will ever see those images clips whatever i delete them straight away like there it's such a safe setting for them mm-hmm. um, and that's something some of the other pros are starting to learn like uh christian lisa patrick you know i i've spent so much time with them now that um that they really understand that i'm there to support them in any capacity i just happen to be quite good with a camera and i need to get paid so 
uh, we are they are helping me find ways to sell shots and sell images and Patrick and Julia have been great with that this trip of how can we pay Jack to keep him here as Patrick's training partner um, and that sort of stuff so so yeah they're very much my friend we have separate professional conversations so sometimes it'll switch and they'll say like you know okay cool I want to talk about business now and what's the price of these images can you organize a shoot for this time and and then we'll swap back to friends and mm. and it's definitely got its time and its place but uh i'm very big on my values which are like protecting that trust mm-hmm. and privacy um and I'll, there's you couldn't put a price on that but you know and i i i think and i'm you know sometimes you have that as a coach as well I'm, i don't work with many pro athletes but i work with people who are ceos of companies and you know it's the same i've been working with some people for 15 years and there is a um a professional relationship which turns into a yeah. a, a friend's relationship not a friendly relationship and and so but you've got again i think it's about setting out your boundaries but also making sure that you know what your values are yeah. and that other people know what your values are and i mean there'll be occasions when those don't match i guess and you you have another adult conversation it seems to me that when you're building a brand like you're trying to, the trust and integrity that you bring to that is is, is almost as important as the quality of the photography that you bring because yeah, it doesn't absolutely. matter. If you're the world's greatest photographer but you've got a big mouth and you're gossiping, you're never going to get any work. Yeah, and, and obviously I can name people like that. You know, There are photographers on the circuit that people don't really like and and people don't have them around. And, and uh, I think like... Yeah, it's super, it's an interesting topic of like, you know, where do you draw the boundary? But um, yeah, I'm trying to build a brand on bringing more high quality content to people and respecting athletes and people. Mm -hmm. I'm an athlete myself, so that's why Mm -hmm. I'm so big on that. Um, And I think the minute I compromise that, I'm in the wrong job anyway. Do you you think the fact that you understand, I mean... Oh, Deep, deeply understand the sport of triathlon enables you to be better at your job because I know yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of photographers out there that I've seen them around on the circuit for years. I don't really know them other than to say hello, but I know they're not triathletes. You can yeah, tell yeah. they're not. They, they probably yeah, would struggle like, to ride a bike. I, but, I don't uh, know. You... It doesn't. It doesn't allow me to take. How do I want to phrase this? It doesn't allow me to take better pictures. Technically, obviously, like. When you look at two images, the structure of the image is no different. It, it allows me to understand the moments that are quite special and really intimately understand that. And also the other side of that, it allows me to understand when to not put a camera in someone's face. Mm-hmm. Like on a finish line, I can point out the athletes that would chat to you and the athletes that weren't. And they're not necessarily the athletes that had a good or a bad day. Athletes can have a good day and still want to be closed. And athletes can have a bad day and still want to immediately talk. Uh, and nor is it specific to individual athletes. They're so, so I think like it really helps me in understanding like, when the right time it gives me context mm-hmm. um and yeah lets me understand what they're going through and like there are rides when i'm paid to be there to shoot uh and i just don't take any pictures because the vibe's just not right like today as well like they asked me to take the drone we went to this lovely club and we went out on a boat and and they were keen for some shots and the vibe just wasn't right it just wasn't a it just wasn't a like a picture day it was just like a enjoy the moment day Mm -hmm. and and i think if i had taken out the camera everyone would have closed up a little bit more and it had been a bit i had a i I had the camera there the drone and stuff but and it was just more like you know snap some happy photos sort of thing and 
and obviously I wasn't paid to be there as a photographer I was taken as a friend but I think finding the boundary and, and the way I tell the story is um, really helped by that and the same with the YouTube you know and I know how Ruth comes across I know when I'm shooting for brands like especially the bike brands it's so easy because I know what people are looking for you know uh, all I want to see is you know how what's what like chain size are you using how long is your crank length what tire choice have you got what pressures in your tires you know uh, why you know what's your wheel like what wheel width have you gone for why um what's your hydration strategy why and like I can tell I can answer those questions through media that sometimes might like you know you might think like, why does anyone care what pressures in your tire or what tires mm. you're choosing and, and and those little intricacies um are really helped as an athlete. Okay, so winding up here in Coney, you've got a few days left back to uh, back to sunny Yorkshire. Yeah. What's next for Jack Schofield, the photographer? What's next yeah. for Jack Schofield, the athlete? Um, as I start with the athlete because that's an easy job. Uh, next year, I want to run a two twenty nine marathon. Um, and unless not in, by the way, you mentioned a two thirty five earlier, and yeah, I think yeah, I should imagine people bike, thinking, yeah. did you really do faster time no, than Gustav yeah. Eden in a marathon? I, I need in to. Uh, I still need to break three off the bike. I've crumbled a couple of times now. Um, but yeah, I'd quite like a two twenty nine standalone marathon. I might go to London or something like that. Um, and then the plan is to set the British age group Ironman record, which I think currently is eight seventeen. Um, I need to give John Levison a ring to clarify that. 8.17, yeah. I think um, it's quite punchy. Um, it's somewhere around... <coughs> Plusy obviously went 8.24 in Kona. He's still, by the way, um, he keeps telling me he's still the fastest Yorkshireman here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, So, yeah, but he's apparently wants to go sub-8. So, yeah, I, I basically just want to go really fast on an Ironman before I put my own personal agenda down. Um, and then photography wise I'm actually about to hire my first employee wow um, that's it, a big that's a big step when you're yeah, in your own definitely, business yeah definitely um, yeah she's going to be a graphic designer um, I've just published my first book uh, you can buy that through my Instagram bio For we, book of photographs yeah so we did a little walk in um, the West Island Way in 2020 and made it into a little photo book with some story and some narrative a really cool little project. I printed 100 copies. That's all. So, yeah, twenty nine ninety nine, £3 shipping if you, uh, yeah, and it's only in the UK, unfortunately. But, so, yeah, we just want to explore a different style of media. So. What, what's, what's your goal with the book? To, to For it to fund itself or just to have a, just to get an idea of the, the actual, the other things that are involved in publishing a book besides yeah. taking so, photographs? Because so it's not, it's, there's a lot of, exactly. there's a lot of parts in it, isn't so there? So this one was a project of, to learn that craft and mm. chat to publishers and, you know, I'm going to take it to, through winter, I'll take it to some uh, bookshops and talk to them and see what they like and, uh, and it's something I really want to explore, this like printed media. Um, you know, I really like adventuring. This year I cycled, we cycled Bradford to Barcelona, which was like two and a half thousand Ks in, in eight days and, uh, and I think if I'd have taken, I did take a camera but I dropped it and there's a whole story in there anyway. <laughs> but if I'd taken the camera and not dropped it, I could have told a story there and then I take athletes or friends and, and it's just a different way of telling stories and, um, we're doing an end of year annual, which is like a freebie. We did one last year of like all the shots I've taken through the year. Mm. So we're, yeah, just exploring different ways of bringing media uh, content to people. Um, obviously, like I say, I'm shooting the Outlaw contract next year. So um, there's more to come there. I've got some great ideas for them. Um, uh, been chatting to a videographer that we may take on early next year. So, so we're kind of just trying to, I'm kind of just trying to grow this business to bring people content and, uh, and not necessarily in the form of social media because, um, 
it's so fast paced and I love it. You know, I can sit and watch reels and scroll through Instagram posts and it has its place. But yeah, I quite like the idea of, of books and that sort of stuff as well. You know, what if we did a book about all the athletes in Kona and how cool would that be to hear their story through the year mm. and um, things like that. So, so yeah, I'm still exploring a few things and uh, I think we'll, we'll be a few training camps this winter to, to continue to shoot for the athletes and stuff. Um, Kat's moving a little bit closer, so I'd quite like to continue to to help her in any way I can in her journey. Um, yeah, con- me and Ruth are about to renegotiate. Um, but obviously, that only goes one way in that we just try and bring more content. So, um, yeah, just super exciting, and uh, yeah, just try and try and take more pictures and create more videos. It sounds like you've got a lot of social media channels that you're using. So rather than letting everybody know now we'll put all those in the show notes Where's, what's yeah. the main one that you use oh, if you're going to follow one go and follow 226 so it's the word 2 the number's 26 underscore photography um, on Instagram on Instagram yeah that's where I'm probably most active um, shooting for the athletes I've got a personal one it's just at Jackie Sco but um, yeah 226 is where where the magic really happens I'm actually on my personal one at the minute doing some some trivial thing where I said I was going to create a piece of media every day for a year and uh, luckily, I'm at the stage now where I'm like, right, well, there's only three months left, so we can get through that. But yeah, 226 is where the excitement happens, so check that out, and um, yeah. Brilliant. Well, Jack Schofield, sounds like you've got, got a lot going on. We're going to be seeing more of you next year at the finish line, Yeah. and coming through the finish line. I was going to say, yeah, I'll be there in some capacity. Don't know which one it'll be, but um, yeah, enjoy them both just as much, luckily. So, uh, Brilliant. Well, see you out there. It's been great to catch up. Thanks for sparing the time. No, uh, no we've both got things to do now, so uh, mahalo. Mahalo. Just Simon. Thank you again to Jack for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. Don't forget to look for that link in the show notes so that you can download your free mobility program as well. So that's all for now. I hope you have a great week and I will see you for sure on the next episode.